This morning, perhaps you've not been here in a while, perhaps maybe even this is your first time in the church. You'll be pleased to know this morning that I have got no intention of patronizing you uh, today. You know what it's like this time of year. Uh, Christians can moan a lot at, at Christmas, right? You hear that, don't you? Uh, Christians can moan that, oh, society has lost oh, the real meaning of Christmas. And Christians can moan, oh, people don't understand the reason for the season. Okay, well, there's truth in that. Absolutely, there's truth in that. Uh, but morning, I have got no intention of patronizing you. Here's the deal. I reckon there's nobody in this room who does not know the Christmas story. Okay? I'm surely correct. That's my bottom line here. That's true, isn't it? I mean, if I was to ask you what the Christmas story is really about, nobody here from the youngest to the oldest, nobody's going to talk to me about Rudolph, and nobody's going to talk to me about Santa. We all know the Christmas story. We all know, don't we, that the heart of Christmas is this baby that was born a couple of thousand years ago in a stable, put in a manger to Mary and Joseph. We all know that. Okay, fine. So if we don't have to establish just now that there is a baby at the heart of Christmas, what are we going to do together just now? Well, what I want us to do is to consider the identity of the child. We don't have to establish that there is a baby at the center of Christmas, but we do maybe have to ask, who is the baby? After all, isn't that a thought that, if you think about it, like 2,000 years after this birth, we are still gathered in this place to remember it and to think about it? 2,000 years? Like, that surely raises the question, well, there's got to be something special about the baby. I mean, who is this? So we're going to address that question. How are we going to do it, though? Well, um, recently, my wife and I, we had a reasonably high-profile politician come to our door. Okay, not, you know, an A-list politician, but maybe B or C-list uh, politician. And you know what it was like. It was built up to election. They're canvassing, okay? And they want to speak. They want to stop and speak to people. So they came foolishly and knocked on our door. It was really, really interesting. Because my wife and I had heard lots of other people speak about this politician. So lots of people in the community had spoken about the politician. Twitter had said a lot about this politician. The BBC News, Sky News had spoken about the politician. But it was really interesting because that's, they're there now. They're on our doorstep. We had this opportunity actually to speak directly to the person. We had the opportunity to hear directly from the horse's mouth, so to speak. You see that idea? That's what we're going to do this morning. Because you see the baby at Christmas in the manger, the baby grew up. And that man revealed, for all who would listen, he revealed exactly who he was. He revealed his identity. So do you see what we're going to do just now? We're not going to go to a teacher. We're not going to go to a family member. We're not going to go to a friend. We're not going to go to a pastor. We are going to go to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to ask him through his word, Who are you? We're going to ask Jesus, who is this baby in a manger 2,000 years ago at Bethlehem. That's the idea this morning. So this is what we usually do on a Sunday morning, Sunday evening at this church. We don't have fancy projector screens, okay? The, the rest of the church is fancy enough, I think. Uh, and we don't print the copies of Scripture in a sheet. Instead, we just rely on these physical copies of the Bible. So my job just now is to ask you whether you would turn 
in those copies of the Bible to that section that we read. So I'll remind you of it. So it's John chapter 8. So I'm inviting you to please turn to that. It's John 8. I'll give you the page number. It's page 895, I think, if you're using the church Bible. Um, page 895. So John chapter 8. Good. Right, so everyone's got John chapter 8 in front of them. The first thing that I want us to think about from that is Christ as pre-existent. That's the sort of first heading. We worked through a series of headings. So there's three headings this morning. The first one's that, Christ as pre-existent. Now you can see what's happening, right? You and I this morning are jumping out of nowhere, right into the center of a book of the Bible, right? From nowhere, we're jumping into the middle of John's gospel, aren't we? So you and I, we've got to be asking, well, what's going on here? What is this story about? What's happening at this point in the story, okay? Aren't we asking that? Well, the obvious thing for me to say is that this is in the middle of Jesus' earthly ministry, okay? Jesus' earthly ministry, and it's a time, friends, when he is facing increasing opposition from religious people, from religious establishment, they're opposing Jesus. Now, if your eye goes to verse 56 in your page, you'll maybe see that Jesus makes quite a claim in verse 56. Do you see what he says? He says that Abraham rejoiced to see his day. So that's Jesus saying that everybody knows who Abraham is, don't they? The boys and girls know who Abraham is way back from the book of Genesis, the start of the Bible, the patriarch. Yes, we do. Boys and girls have got it. Jesus is saying that Abraham, way back there, hundreds of years before, he anticipated and looked forward to Jesus' life and ministry. Now, work with me. Look at verse 57. How is that claim received by the religious establishment? Do you notice what happens? They basically laugh out of town, don't they? Like you can almost hear them, can't you? Just like, what are you saying, Jesus? You know, they're scoffing and laughing at Jesus. How can you know anything about Abraham? How can you claim to have seen Abraham? You're not even 50. Like you're not even retirement age in Israel at the time. You're not even in seniority. How, what is this? This is nonsense. You see the context? They're laughing, killing themselves laughing at Jesus. Now wait for it thing that I really want you to get is what Jesus is next. Look at verse 58. Everyone do it. Let's look at verse 58. What does Jesus say next? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, now, before Abraham was, I am. Now, here's the deal. Let me put my cards on the table here. This morning, I am not going to preach through this whole chapter. I'm not even going to preach through this whole section. I want all of our focus just to be on those words there. Before Abraham was, I am. That's it this morning. And the first thing I'm wanting you to appreciate under this heading is what? What did I say? That that is a claim of pre-existence. You with me? That is Jesus' claim there to exist eternally. Now let me throw that back at you. Like what do you think about that? I mean, is that not just a mind-blowing idea, Jesus existing eternally? Like, just think about the idea with me. What are we dealing with? Jesus is claiming that before he was in Mary's womb, or before he was conceived, Jesus is claiming that he has lived for hundreds of years 
before his conception. Like way back to Abraham, Jesus living. Before that, Jesus is living. Is your head hurting a little bit? I mean, it's a pretty big claim. So what do we have to do with that, do you think? I think we've got to just probe, probe the hernal. Here's the first question we ask. You ready for it? Is that really what Jesus is saying? Have we got this right? I mean, is Jesus actually there claiming to exist eternally? Or could it be something different? Could it be that Jesus is actually just claiming to be really old? Is he really claiming to be eternal? Is that it? Do this. Look at verse 58. And you, with me, pay attention to the tense of the verbs. Look at the tenses of the verbs. Even the boys and girls can do this. Boys and girls, you've been learning about tenses in school, I'm sure, in the past. So have a look at verse 58. Now, notice what it is that Jesus doesn't say in verse 58. Notice that he doesn't say, before Abraham was, I was. Now, you can understand that, can't you? Like, that would be tantamount to Jesus saying, before Abraham was born, I was born. You know, I'm really old. I was born even before Abraham. You notice he doesn't say that. You notice that instead, what does he say? He says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, you see that that is a clear claim of pre-existence. Jesus is speaking about the perfect settledness of his eternal nature. So you maybe look at me and say, have we got this right? Is this, is he really claiming this? Yes, this is a claim of, of pre-existence. This is a claim of eternality. Then a second question you really have to ask is, well, is this a mistake? And you'll like this. Um, before I was a pastor, so good years ago, I don't know how many years ago now, but a long time ago, before I was in ministry and before I was in a church, I had a job in a record company in Edinburgh in Scotland. Sounds quite fancy, doesn't it? It was anything but fancy. It was just this low, awful, terrible job, okay? But working in a record company, and I had a, a job to do one day. So a band had recorded an album, okay? So, I don't know, what? 12, 13 songs, about 70 minutes of work. Maybe you know how these things, how it functions. So the band records in a music studio and it costs an awful lot of money and then it's mixed and then the record company get a master CD, right? This all-important master CD of this album. Now, this is passed to me. Here's my job. This sounds a simple job, does it? My job, Andy, can you take this master CD and can you send it to the publisher so that a run of 5,000 or 10,000 CDs can be made. Does that sound like an easy job? And they put it in a bag, <laughs> send it to the publishers so it can be duplicated thousands of times. Okay, right? Couldn't get that wrong, could I? I could get that wrong. What I did, wait for it, I sent the wrong CD to the publisher. So a CD with a really obvious and terrible mistake in the CD. Now, do you see, right? Uh, thankfully, I was able to avert disaster. I got on the phone as soon as I realized. But do you see what could have happened? The CD with a mistake and it could have been replicated. Like, and it could have been replicated 10,000 times, 20,000 times, whatever. Now, hang on. Is that what we're dealing with? Like, could it be? We've all heard of scribal errors. 
Like, could it be that, like, okay, Jesus has never said before Abraham was, I am, he's never made this pre-existence. Somebody's got it wrong. Somebody's written down a mistake and it's been duplicated in all our copies of scripture. Is, is, is that what's going on here? Is this an isolated mistake? Is it, friends? Is it? No, no. And I really, I, I urge you to hear what I'm going to say next. Now, listen to me. What we're dealing with right now, this claim to pre-existence and eternality is the, wait for it, it is the consistent witness of God's holy word. That Jesus existed, that Christ existed eternally. That is the repeated testimony of God's word. Now, Friends, what do you think about that? Do you believe that? Do you, do you see it? I would urge you to think about how that book there, John's Gospel, how does it start? Do you know it? In the beginning was the Word. Isn't that an incredible reality? In the beginning? What about, what about Paul the Apostle? What does he say in Colossians? What does he say about this one, Jesus? This one born to Mary and Joseph? What does he say? By Christ, all things were created. And what about the book of Hebrews? What does that say? Through this one that we're dealing with here, God created the world. And do you know what my personal favorite of all of them is? And I could, I could go through countless other evidences of Christ's pre-existence. Do you want my favorite one? The Lord Jesus Christ is just about to go to the cross. He's just about to bear wrath for his people's sins he's about to atone for his sins and he prays and jesus of nazareth prays to god and do you know what he says listen to what he says he says glorify me with the glory i had with you wait for it before the world existed friends do you see it we're, we're, we're going to jesus here and we're asking who are you and he and he says i'm the pre-existent one I am the eternal one. Before Abraham was, I am. And I, I realized this morning, it's a guest service at London City Presbyterian Church, right? So I recognize that there's guests in the room. And I recognize that some of you good people in here, I recognize that you won't be Christians. You won't be following the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't be born again. And so I've just got a really simple question to ask you. Have you ever explored that claim? And is it not a claim worth exploring for yourself? I mean, you understand what I'm getting at, don't you? Like, right now, as I speak to you, there are millions of people throughout the world, and they have explored that claim from Jesus. They have. And do you know what they find? They find it to be true. So I'm saying to you, is it not actually worth you exploring this for yourself? I I will be a little bit more specific about it. Is it not a claim worth exploring this Christmas? Isn't it? Like, think about it. What better time of year is there to address the identity of that child in the manger than at this time? And you see what you could do? You could ask a Christian friend. You could ask the person who invited you here. And you could ask them just to read the Bible with you. To point to the places where Jesus reveals more of himself. And do you know what? As a minister, I'll say this as well. If you're interested to explore this, you could attend church. We would love to have you here to tell you more about who Jesus claims to be. But you see it, don't you? Here, in this portion of Scripture, Jesus claims pre-existence. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Do you not need to establish for yourself whether or not that's true? 
So the first thing, Christ as pre-existent. The second thing, I want us to consider Christ as God incarnate. Make sure you hear that. Christ is God incarnate. Now, uh, being in a city centre congregation as we are, we've got one or two lawyers who are connected uh, to our congregation here in London. One or two lawyers. Now, what they would no doubt affirm is that behind even a real simple legal document, no matter how simple it seems to me, (laughs) behind that involves a lot of blood, sweat and tears and a lot of effort by lawyers. You get the idea. It might seem really simple to us, a little legal document, but there's more to that document than meets the eye. Now, why I mention that? I mention it because that's the same here right now. You see what I'm saying to you? That there is more to this phrase before Abraham was, I am. There's more to that phrase than meets the eye for us. And to prove it to you, I'm going to ask you to do me a favour as a minister of the church, okay? So this is what I want everyone to do. I would ask you to keep your finger in John 8. And the boys and girls can do this too, please. If you, I know you're doing your worksheet. But if you keep your finger in John 8, and I would ask everyone to really, as quickly as they can, turn to Exodus chapter 3. So I'll give you the page number. I think, and I could have this wrong, I think it's page 46. I've got a nod. It is page 46. So you can race the people in your row. But Exodus chapter 3, page 46. But keep your finger in John 8, okay? Now, first thing I want you to do if you're in Exodus is to notice how the Bible entitles or how the ESV entitles this chapter. Do you see it at the top of... What does it say? Does it say anything? It says the burning bush. Does it? The burning bush. Does that jog memories? Do we all know that, even if it's way back from Sunday school? So it's Moses, he's on holy ground, he has to take off his shoes, doesn't he? And he's approaching the bush and God, God, the creator, speaks from the bush, reveals something of who he is and what he's like. Right? We know it. We know the story. I would ask you next to look at verse 14. Look at verse 14, God is revealing himself. He's saying who he is. And what does he say? God says, God says, I am who I am. Then he goes on, read it with me. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you now. Don't get ahead of me. Turn back to John chapter 8. Don't guess what I'm going to say. Turn back to John chapter 8. What I actually want you to notice is the escalation and the development in the chapter in front of you in John 8. So look what Jesus is doing. Look at verse 12. He begins with almost a hint. Do you see? I am the light of the world and the Jews, the religious establishment, scratching their heads saying, what was that did you say there? Then look at verse 24. She's a building up, building up. Verse 24, you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. Verse 28, do you see it's developing? There's an escalation. Verse 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will see that I am he. And where does it end? Where does Jesus get to? Verse 58, look at our verse. He makes it so clear. Before Abraham was, what does he say? I am. 
Before Abraham was, I am. Do you see that this is a dramatic disclosure at the end of this big development, big escalation? What's Jesus doing there? What's he doing? He's revealing more than his pre-existence, more than he was just eternal. Right there in front of you, friend, you've got the Lord Jesus Christ revealed that he is God. Now, you're with me right now. There's no grander claim than anyone could make than to claim divinity, deity, to claim that they are God. So right now, you and I, we're asking questions here. We're asking, obviously, am I right now reading too much into those words? Like, you know, you know what modern scholarship is like. You know what to do in Britain in the 21st century? We love to read meaning back into a text, don't we? We love to read meaning back into history. You know, whatever the zeitgeist is, whatever the modern, the spirit of the age, we love to read that meaning back in the text. Before long, we're, we are believing the questioning Shakespeare's sexuality or whatever it might be. We read the zeitgeist back in. We read meaning. You're looking at me wondering, does he read it way too much into this text? That I am is Jesus declaring that he is divine. And I would say to you, look at verse 59. Look at verse 59. You answer me, how did the people at the time respond? What would you say to me? Come on, what would you say? Would you say, well, the Jews, they're angry, they're violent. And I would say back to you, what do they actually do? Verse 59. They pick up stones to stone Jesus. Do you understand what that is? That was the punishment the Old Testament demanded for blasphemy. That's the punishment Deuteronomy tells you. has to happen. If there is a divine claim, if there is blasphemy, he has to be stoned. Am I reading too much into it? Do you see the Jews at the time? They're all aware. He's just claimed to be God. He's just claimed to be divine. But then if we ask that, we have to ask again that same question as before. Is this an isolated incident? Is this a mistake? And I get that this isn't easy, maybe. You know, if, if perhaps this is your first time to London City Presbyterian Church, maybe you got one of the flyers from the carol singing, did you? Maybe somebody has invited you along personally. Maybe you're on holiday. Maybe you're just passing the church. And you're tired and it's difficult and I get it. And now you come in here and you've got to listen to a Scotsman. You've got to listen to a Scotsman speak for whatever, 25 minutes. Wow, it's tough. I'm honestly, just cards on the table. If you hear nothing else, hear what I say next, okay? Please. I want to say to you that what we are dealing with right now, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God that he is God incarnate, God made flesh, that is not an isolated claim. That too is the consistent, repeated testimony of Holy Scripture. Did you hear that? Jesus as God, the repeated testimony of God's word. And when you think about it with me, just for a second, you consider that some of the miracles that Jesus performed during his ministry, so healing the lame, do we know he did that? Do we know that he healed the blind? These were miracles the Old Testament said would be signs of God at work and God alone, Isaiah 35. And you understand that the authority that Jesus displayed in his ministry, the authority to forgive sin, do you know what that was? That was the authority of God alone. And do you know the way that the New Testament speaks of Jesus? Maybe you know the story where the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee. Do you know that? And Jesus is said to be passing by. It's the same way as the Old Testament spoke of 
God himself passing by Moses as he hid in the cleft of the rock. And then you hear the other dramatic claims. Who is Jesus? We see it in scripture and God responds. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the one in whom the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And if you are sitting there and you are not convinced that that is the testimony of the Bible, I've got one thing to remind you about. What did God say at Jesus' baptism? You know, the voice comes from heaven at Jesus' baptism and God himself says, God the Father of his Son, he says, this one, Jesus of Nazareth, this one, this is my Son whom I love. Do you see? We are coming to Jesus today. We're asking, who's the baby at Christmas? Why are we celebrating? Why are there people all over the world celebrating? Who is this baby? And Jesus responds, yes, pre-existent and yes, eternal. But Jesus is divine. God, linger on it. And the God who right now upholds the world in orbit, the God who upholds the solar system, the God who gives the sun its intensity, its heat and its power, the God who has created the laws of gravity and physics, that God 2,000 years ago was a baby. A baby who was laid by his mother in a bed of straw. Christ as pre-existent. Do you not wonder? Jesus of Nazareth. This is Christ. God incarnate. And then we close with a third, very brief idea. We see Christ as pre-existent. We see Christ as God incarnate. Thirdly, lastly, we see Christ as Savior. Christ as Savior. So I wonder, what was Christmas like for you when you were young? Did you have your, was your dad there? And if so, did your dad do the dad thing <laughs> when it comes to opening Christmas presents? I really think this is a dad thing to do. In fact, I am resolving here and now to do this from, from all Christmases onwards. Isn't it true that dads love to make a big song and dance about opening a Christmas present? I think dads, maybe it's just the people I know, but I think dads love to spin it out, uh, make a real drama. So it's the idea that they get a Christmas present, but they don't open it. Like the dad gets it and up, shakes it, you know, and sort of listens to it. Oh, I wonder what it's going to be. And then what does the dad do? Dad will just open it, but not open it fully. Just open, oh, have a wee glance. Oh, I wonder what it's going to be. And then, oh, another bit, oh, drags it. And it's only eventually the present gets open as there before us. Maybe it's just the dads that I know, but I'm definitely going to do that from this point in. In a sense, is it not the case that that's what you and I are doing this morning? Like we're taking this phrase, that God's given us this phrase, before Abraham was I am. What have we done? We open it a little bit do we? And we see pre-existence. We open it a little bit more. We see a claim of divinity deity but listen listen it's only now just as we end that we see god's gift to humanity god's gift to his church revealed to us in full now what do i mean by that well i would ask you to consider that first phrase that we looked at a moment ago do you remember it in verse 56 you remember what it was what did jesus claim Abraham rejoiced to see my day. 
Isn't that a strange one? Abraham rejoiced to see my day. What does it mean? Well, again, I'm saying to you, I realize that there's people in the room who are not Christians. You know that term born again? I realize that there's some people not following Christ uh, today, trusting him for forgiveness. Well, there's a couple of things just as we're closing that I really want you to appreciate. First thing is this, that through the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, there was this hope that a savior from sin would, would rise up. Do we appreciate that, all of us? We understand God right from the beginning of the Bible reveals that all people, God reveals that you are, I am a sinner. All people sinners. God reveals that at the start of the Bible. And what else does God reveal? God reveals that there will be a savior or a messiah that will rise up and save some people, save his people from their sin, right? Have we all got that? We all got that? Yep, there's this expectation. That's the first thing. The second thing that I want us to appreciate is how the Old Testament spoke of that Savior. Oh, I want you to hear this. I want you to get it. And we want you to understand that throughout the Old Testament, one way that people spoke of the coming of the Savior from sin was to do this, a technical way, was to speak of the day. Right? Throughout the Old Testament, People wanted to speak about that saviour, the messianic age. They would talk about the day, the day to come, the day, the day, the day. And now I ask you, do you see? Now I ask you, do you see God's gift to you laid before, unveiled, the wrapping paper thrown in the bin? Do you see the gift? Because in verse 56, do you see what Jesus is doing? As he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Do you see what Christ is revealing to you even this morning? He's revealing not just that he's pre-existent, he's revealing not just that he's divine, he's revealing that Jesus of Nazareth was actually that promised saviour from sin that because you can't save yourself, friend, because I can't save myself, because of our sinful nature, what is God to come? God has become man that through the cross of Calvary, he might, the Lord Jesus Christ, might be that promised saviour from sin. So I end this sermon with two things, two appeals. The first to the Christian in here, if you're born again and trusting in Jesus Christ, do you not think this Christmas you and I should follow after Abraham? Do you notice what he does? Abraham rejoiced to see God's day. Do you not think that we should do that, friends? Do you not think we should follow after Abraham? You know what Christmas can descend into? It can be a time of family, even we remember our loved ones. It can be fun, festivity. It can just be about the food. But given what God has done for you, Christian friend, given what he has revealed to you, given the grace that he has shown you, do you not think primarily this festive season it should be about you and me worshipping God? Should we not take more time individually with our families, with our church, to praise the living God, to rejoice in the Savior sent to us? But if you are not a Christian, last time I'm speaking to you this morning, do you see what's happened? We've gone to Jesus through his word. We've asked, what's so special about Christmas? What's the meaning of Christmas? Who are you? Who's the baby? Be careful. Because what do you think Jesus has said to you? Do you think Jesus here has said to you that he is the eternal divine saviour from sin? Do you think that's what he said to you this morning? That isn't it. No, this morning in his word, Jesus Christ says to you that he is the eternal divine saviour that you need 
that you need if you are going to be reconciled to God. He is the eternal divine saviour. The only one who can see you forgiven for your sin. So what do we need to do? What do you need to do this Christmas? Yes, you need to investigate these claims. You must investigate them. But more than that, when you see who Jesus is, who this is in that manger, surely you see you must repent, turn from your sin, and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin eternally. If you do that, do you know what happens? Do you know what, what you get? Meaning, if you bow and trust in Jesus Christ, there is real meaning for you this Christmas. Friends, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that there's no doubt about the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we come to your word with sincerity, if we read, if we study what you have revealed to be true, we don't end up assuming that Jesus is a religious teacher and only that. We don't end up just thinking he is a man with some moral ideas or uh, some teaching to provide. We must bow because it is revealed to us in your word that Jesus Christ is the eternal divine saviour of his people. Lord, we ask that you'd help us this Christmas to really, truly focus on that great and the grandest of truths. And we do pray that you would open our eyes, all of our eyes, so that we might see truly and believe. And we pray in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.